Hello again, everybody. As always, I thank you for hitting the play button. Brennan Fitz podcast coming at you. This week's guest is one of the nicest people on this traveling circus that we call work. If you're a UFC fan, you certainly know him well. He's always got that first question at the press conference, and we talk about that. He's always got that blue shirt on, octagon side, although not on this episode. And the perfect example that it's not just the fighters that have great stories to get to where they are on this uh, UFC circuit. I really had a good time chatting with him. He's the lead reporter for MMAJunkie.com. And as I said, just a true nice guy. He is John Morgan. All right, there he is, not in a blue shirt. <laughs> What's happening, John Morgan? Not much. What's going on, man? It's, it's nice to be on this. I got to interview you the other day, which is not something we get to do very often. That was I fun. Know. That was so weird doing it. Um, you know, I've done – sometimes, you know, I'll get requests for being on a podcast or people want to interview kind of the, the broadcasters. But usually when they make me available, right, for media availability – um, like, you know, I'm like, they want to talk to Felder and Dan Hardy. They don't want to talk to me, you know? So I appreciate you guys showing up and, uh, asking me some questions and put it on there. That was fun. It's kind of, sure, I, I told them as long as we're out here in fight Island, man, let's collect all the content we can. And exactly. uh, yes, of course, we like the analysis of the fighters is probably our, our primary objective, but why not catch up with guys like yourself as well? You know? Well, when I saw you guys in there too, and I was just like, what do you mean me media availability for us on Tuesdays? I'm like, well, we're all over here. Like you guys, I, I more identify with what you guys do than being on the, the rights holder side of things because I was, you know, local media for a long time and that sort of stuff I'll be in different sports, but you just, you got to crank out stuff. You're looking for stories. You know what I mean? That's it, man. It's just like, listen, if we're here already, why don't we just go ahead and collect some content? Maybe it's not traditional. Maybe we don't do it every week, but man, I'm here for the whole five week run. Obviously my company had to spend money to get me over here and uh, you know, let's, let's create content. You got to feed the machine, you know? Right. And people want to know, like, how is the content doing from like Fight Island? I got to think it's, it's really good. It is really good. There's no question about it. I mean, the first time around for sure, I, I mean, it was, it was insane. And I think the, the, the Island itself, the system itself, what was in place, that was all a big part of it. In fact, the very first week I did a blog, um, you know, yeah, I remember that. Like yeah. Everything that was happening. Yeah. And so it did really good traffic and people just wondered this time it's less about the, the, the place itself. I think everybody's, they're used to the scenes by now. Um, I think they believe in the system. They trust that things are being done safe as, as you certainly seen firsthand. Um, and now it's just more about the fights. And so it, obviously it's bookended with the huge pay-per-views. That's where the real traffic is going to be. Right. Um, but yeah, the fight nights are in between as well. And, and, uh, you know, you kind of look for those new names. Yeah. You know, it's not going to have the peak of, of where the big ones are, but it's still nice to, uh, you know, to have fights and man, to keep people working. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, like how do you find fight Island? Because I, you know, last episode I, I did it with Tyson Chartier and he was over here with Calvin Cater, obviously. And I was, I had been over here for a week at that point, and uh, I was, you know, I was like, oh, how do you, how do you like fight Island? It's pretty cool, right? And he's just like, oh, it's a grind. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he had like a fight to get ready for a big kind of thing, manage your sleep. But for us, it's a little more, I don't know. I told him, I said, it's like the, the more like, uh, the most like college we'll ever get as adults, right? You just like, you're in a dorm, everybody's in the same place, you're eating at the same, same restaurants and all that stuff. How do you find it? You know, it's funny because uh, now we don't get the five-star luxury of the W. I, I know, I know. And that's the thing. Like, I can't complain over here. But, like, you know, you're at, what, the Crown Plaza on, across the street? 
I'm at the Crown Plaza, and I will say I've got a I've got a window right over here that's overlooking the golf course and the golf. So I mean, right, I'm not right. complaining. I got, yeah, I got yeah. a nice little view. And by the way, uh, our bar has a lot cheaper drinks at it downstairs. There you go. Yeah, so, exactly. Coffee's like nine bucks. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> if you get it downstairs, but um. <laughs> We've stayed in a lot worse places, though, you know, certainly. Yeah, no question. I'm not complaining. But, uh, no, I, I dig it. It's funny. I mean, the, the worst part about it is, is honestly, I mean, it may sound cliche or silly or whatever, is being away from my wife and kid. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I did, I did the three-week run before, and I'm doing the five-week run now. And to be honest, I'm honored to be here, man. I mean, I'm happy to be here. You know, there's we know a lot of people. You know, I, I live in Las Vegas like you, and, and I know a lot of people, you know, friends of the family that – you know, work in the hotel business and things like that. And they've had to pack up and leave and, 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 and move, you know, and the fact that I'm able to work and provide for my family, that means the world to me. So I'm excited to be here. But, you know, of course, 2020 has provided all of us with things we never thought possible. But I sure as hell didn't think on January 1, like, you know, I bet this year I'll probably spend about two months or so in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. I bet that'll happen. And, I know. and that's what's happening. So it's, it's that part of, of here is frustrating. But as far as daily life, yeah, it's, it's not bad. It, it right. is what you make of it, you know? Yeah, I know. It's like it's you get some me time, you get some like quiet time in your hotel and stuff like that. And it's like all up to you what, what you do with it. But and then the other thing, too, is like, you know, we travel a lot consistently four or five nights at a time. So it's, you know, my wife kind of came to terms with it. It's like, well, you haven't traveled all summer with the Apex and all those other things. So it's like this is just the travel all at once. I'm, I'm here for two weeks. You're here for five, several of our crew is here for, you know, three, four, five weeks. And that's where it's like, man, the biggest thing I think, and, and, and it's why I'm sending my flower, my, my wife flowers every Monday during this whole thing. There you go. Notes. And it's just a, the thing that, that she said is like, listen, you know, she's, we've been together for, you know, 12, 13 years at this point. She's got it. She understands. She's used to me being away, you know, never more than two or three weeks at a time before, but there were stretches where we'd go to like, Japan one week and Australia the next so we wouldn't come back but the biggest thing is as, as I'm sure a lot of parents can relate to is that you know my wife said look normally five weeks yeah it's a long time wouldn't be that big a deal she's like I will admit this is tough man with distance learning with our kid at home yeah right you know, normally I wake up in the morning drop him off at school go to the gym have a little me time at the gym maybe go meet up with a friend for lunch you know then pick your kid up from school and go through all that. but you have some time now she's she's 24 7 with the kid all day long, helping out with distance learning. And, you know, you don't want that to sound like a complaint because you love your children like nothing else on the planet. But, you know, right now there's nobody to take away a little bit of that. Hey, I got them for a little while. You right. go do what you got to do. So, uh, man, I just have to, like, give my thanks to her for being willing to put up with it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's something, I mean, look, I'm not trying to say woe with me. We're all going through this right now. But, uh, yeah, so, so. I am trying to be a good husband. Yeah, because sure of something. Touch every every day, Monday, man. Hours, no text That's the way to do it. Let them know how much they're loved. That's awesome, man. And it certainly puts things into perspective to kind of do something like this, too, where you're just like, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, I could use just like a quiet day by myself. And then you have a couple of them and you're just like, what the hell's the point if you're not having those close to you around you? You know what I mean? So That's it. Um, That's it. I want to quickly shout you out and say thank you, thank you very much. Because when I started this show originally, um, and I did that interview with Forrest Griffin, and then I sent a note to some media members like, hey, can you help me push this new podcast? I'm doing these long form interviews. And I sent to you and, and several others and you put out a tweet and you were like, I subscribed to it. Forrest, you, you pumped it up. And I appreciate that, man. I was um, 
you know, I guess I didn't know what to expect when starting a podcast, but I was like, well, of course, everybody's going to drop what they're going to do and listen to my podcast. That's how it works. And then I was just like, whoa, man, this is a lot tougher than to do is you got to kind of do it for the love of the game. And so I think you can appreciate that because um, you've kind of like you don't come from a media background. Is that correct? So I went, I went to school for, for, for media. Like I, I liked the idea of being a reporter, but then I stayed in the restaurant business for years and years right. and years because the money was there. When I got out of school, I just stayed in the restaurant business. And then finally I got to a point where I was like, I want to get back into it. Um, so yeah, I did. I didn't, I, I got lucky. I didn't have to go through the grind of like what you've gone through with the local news stations and all that. Like I went through the education process, right. um, but then you know, then I just jumped right into MMA and I was like, well, I love MMA and I want to write about it. And I've been doing that for the last 15 years. So right. um, yeah, it's, been, it's been a, definitely a different path for me. If you're from where? Uh, originally D Dallas, Texas is where I'm from. Oh, Dallas, Texas. Okay. And yeah. so where did you go to school? Uh, DeSoto High School is where I grew up. So anybody that knows Dallas, the South Side yeah. there. And then uh, I just went to community college, man, El Centro Community College. I, uh, I originally had wanted to go to TCU and then decided I wasn't ready for school. I went to the Navy. I got booted out of the Navy for having bad eyesight. Oh, man. Uh, didn't even know, yeah, didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was a mess. So if, 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 you're, if you're a late teenager, early 20s guy who is an absolute mess and has no idea what the hell you want to do in life, uh, I'm standing uh, example of the fact that it can get better for you. Things right. Can the right. And you're direction. doing what you love. Like, you know, every time I see you have a big smile on your face and you get to – come around to the events and you sit in front row and you're in the good graces of Dana and the UFC. And it's like, I, you know, I admire the hell out of that, man, because, because I knew that you, you know, kind of had the background of it, but then we're in something else. So it was the restaurant business. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I started working as a bus boy when I was 16 years old and um, actually moved out when I was 16. I said, I was such a mess. I didn't think my parents knew what to do with me, man. So I started taking care of myself um, when I was 16 years old and, and, uh, put myself through school working in restaurants and you know after I went through all that nonsense and um you know I just got to a point where I was offered a job in restaurant management that was anything more than I had been offered in journalism which obviously does not pay very well yeah and especially know, not the beginning yeah especially not in the beginning and so I just stuck with restaurants man I was like well if I can make twice the amount of money doing this and, I'm, and I'm, I don't hate it uh, but then I got to a point where I was in my late 20s um I actually went through a, a divorce and and was like what the hell am I doing like this is I mean I I was in a car. I was, I'd been in a company where I was well-respected. I was a general manager of a restaurant. I had a nice salary insurance, 401k. I was loved in my company. I love the people that I work with. I could do it in my sleep, but it was like, man, I'm going to wake up one day and be 40, 50 years old and still be doing this. And think I never meant to do this. I just ended up doing it. And um, so I, I went back to try to chase my passion of, of, of sports journalism. You know, I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, I knew MMA early, right? The, US, right. the first USC I ever went to was USC 16, if you can wow. imagine that, like wow. way back then <laughs> at the Pontchartrain Event Center in Kenner, Louisiana with, with Frank Shamrock and Igor Zinoviev. And uh, man, that's, I got a picture with, with Vitor Belfort when I was like 19 and he was wow. you know, barely any older. Um, so I loved MMA, but you know, obviously, man, back in those days, the MMA wasn't an industry. It was a spectacle. You know, it was the wild west. So yeah. even though I had this passion for MMA and I had a passion for journalism, I just didn't even put the two together. And then around 2005, um, I think it was 2005, 2006, MMA Junkie was just getting started. And I, I really didn't know MMA Junkie. I used to be a daily MMA Weekly reader. I was a big MMA Weekly guy. Okay. And uh, there happened to be a, a forum post on MMA Weekly that uh, – 
Tag Radio, which was Gorgeous George, still of MMA Junkie Radio, and Frank Trigg were doing a radio show together, and they were partnering with MMA Junkie Radio. They wanted somebody to, or with MMA Junkie, I should say, and they wanted somebody to start recapping some some interviews for them and writing pieces to put on the site. And I just reached out to them as kind of an internship. The internship became part time, part time became full time, and that's how we that's how we went down this Man, thing. Man, that's awesome. So let's let's like, uh, there's a lot to that, but um. When you were interested in media, as you say, like sports journalism, like what was the dream job for you as a teenager, early 20s, when you're like, if I could do that? Sports writer. That was it. You know, I grew up, I grew up playing sports, soccer, baseball, basketball. I played everything. Um, I loved it. I was really into sports. But I realized, you know, pretty early on, like, okay, you're not going to be a professional athlete. So let's, let's be honest with, with yourself. But I loved being around it. And I, and I loved writing. You know, I loved writing and telling stories, man. I, I love um you know not just you know writing up quick gamers or whatever although I did always think that was important I'm probably one of the few people that I don't know I I feel like we're documenting a sports history as well so while I love like the pre-fight PR of you know what this means to somebody or or, you know and, and not just for fighting but any sport you know what you know what is going on I also think is a real important part of documenting just what's happening. So when people want to look back in history at records at, at whatever, they can go back and get it. And so I wanted to be a sports writer. And I thought, yeah. um, you know, back in 2005, 2006, you could be a writer. Right. And, uh, yeah. There was yeah, newspaper jobs. Yeah. yeah. Now you're, now I'm a videographer, photographer, uh-huh. podcast host, all that's multimedia editor. So yeah, I just wanted to be a sports writer. I, I thought it would be cool. That way I could, I could still be involved in sports, even if I wasn't, you know, obviously good enough to play at a professional level. Right. So, um, the, the, the restaurant thing spoke to me when you're late twenties and saying, if I just keep doing this, I'm going to be 40, 50 years old and look back and be like, what the hell happened? Like, because I moved out to Vegas after college, I met my wife, like in Las Vegas. And, um, I worked at the Bally sports book and then I worked wow. at the wind sports book. And those were all I was such a jerk, man. Like I, I was a good worker and I knew what I was doing, but anytime somebody would talk to me about like the career or the next step or whatever, I would always be quick to mention like, I'm only doing this until I get a real job, right? How, how right. condescending is that? That's bad. But to me, in my mind, it was like, I have a degree in journalism. I'm going to be a sports guy on TV. This is how I'm going to make money until I get that job. But in my, the, the way I put it was real job. Like I'm going to use my yep. degree to get my... And I look back on, I'm, I wish I could go and apologize to all those people. And like, I still, I wasn't like the, the jerk, like people, you know, I still was a good person to work with, but those are the terms I use. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, that was so really, bad. how great is, how great is it that now neither one of us still have a real job? You That's know right. I, mean? I know <laughs> that, like, the real job is to not have a job, right. To, to find what you really want to do. And, but same thing, like I was, I, I was at Bally's and then I was at the wind sports book and like, you know, if you're, you're kind of, it, what I, one, one, thing about, one thing I love about Las Vegas is that if you're motivated and you're a hard worker and you've got a solid head on your shoulders and you can kind of do basic math and all this other stuff, like you can rise high in that town. Like you, yeah, can, yeah. you can be wearing a suit, you can climb the ranks in the casino business. And so I was at um, Wynn after coming, leaving from Bally's and my old boss at Bally's said, do you want to come be a supervisor at the Paris sports book? You know, wear a suit and all of a sudden, I'm like 24 years old, and am I going to be a supervisor in a casino? And I turned it down because I was like, the money's wow. going to be good. Like, the money's going to be decent, you know, to double or triple the amount of what I make in my first TV job. 
and I'm going to like, like it. And I'm still kind of in sports because it's sports betting. And so I turned it, I was like, no, I was like, I'm going to need to move to the sticks very soon and make no money. So I'm just not going to even flirt with that. You know, what was it for you? Like where, what was the moment when you kind of realized it? Do you, do you remember a moment or, or like what made you pull you out of that restaurant biz? Yeah, no, I think honestly going through a divorce was a big part of it, man. And just kind of reevaluating my life and saying, man, like what kind of choices have I made? And what I realized is I didn't make a lot of choices. Like things just kind of opened for themselves. Like, you know, like you said, you got offered a spot and, you, and you know, I was the kind of piece the, the, in the mind that I would take it because I need to make more money. You know what I right. mean? Like, okay. Oh, you can, you can give me more money. Got it. Oh, you, you need me to move here. You need me to move? Oh, Got it. You know, and, and I just did it. And I never really made a conscious decision to kind of take control of like what was laying in front of me and, and what I was doing. And, and uh, man, it's so true to have those moments. Like, like I say it now, man, if I was presented with the same, you know, kind of dilemma or opportunity or moment now that I have a mortgage, a kid, a wife, you know, like, I don't know that I could make it, but I found myself in this position where it's like, like you said, you know, this, this was never my passion. This was never what I wanted to do. I didn't hate it by any stretch. It was good. You know, it was good. I, in fact, yeah. I, I still, you know, I like the restaurant business, um, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I do remember just having that moment of just like being forced to kind of look back and be like, well, you know, you're, you're 28 years old, you're going through a divorce, you know, is, what, what, what changes do you need to make right now? And, uh, and that's when I was like, dude, I got to, I got to go after this, man. This is what, this is what I wanted to. And at the time, you know, I always thought, look, and the good thing was with the restaurant business, now it's a little different, but I was like, it's not like restaurants are going anywhere. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it just yeah, doesn't yeah. work out. I can go get a job. Um, but it, but I, it was, uh, man, it was, it, in retrospect, it was big because even once I went full time with MMA Junkie, I mean, I had to cut my salary like more than half, you know? So, I mean, right. I, I cut my salary more than half gave up my insurance, gave up my 401k, gave up all that. But I was like, man, this is what I want to do. And uh, yeah, man, chasing after something you love is, is again, cliche as it may sound. It is so rewarding if it works out for you. And it's tricky too, because like my son's five, your son's what, like eight or nine? He's eight, yeah, he's eight. So like to deliver the message, I mean, it's obviously a great message to do what you love, but it's, it's always funny too, because it's like, um, find that job that that you're gonna love to do, but also to not be like you know fairy tales and rainbow world in terms of like right. everything can be perfect. Like there is some stuff you're gonna have to do, but I think there's plenty of people out there. Like I have friends too, and it's just like they're doing something that they it's not like their passion, but they're very smart, smarter than me, and they're working that Monday through Friday, and it's like we're brought up to almost think like after college, we're going to get a job. We don't necessarily love our jobs, but we're going to get a job. That's how you work and grow and whatever. And uh, I feel like more and more now it's possible to get these jobs because of the YouTube and social media and just like, you can monetize everything now. So it's just a matter of like, do you love something enough to like chase it as much? You know, that's it, man. I mean, look, the way my dad brought me up and I respect him for it. He's like, do whatever you want in life. He's like, just make sure you're the absolute best at it. He said, if you want to wash windows for a living, be the best window washer on the face of the planet. And I do like that. I mean, that's a good day. Whatever you're going to do, don't be satisfied being mediocre at it. Don't be satisfied, uh, you know, just being there. Be the best you can be at it and commit yourself to it fully and execute it fully. And I do believe in that. I do believe a, a good work ethic is something that you should bring a child up with. But you're right, man. Chasing some passion, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're only here for so long on this planet, right? And, and there's, there's ways to make money, you know, it's, and it's funny too, right? Whatever money you end up making, you just find a way to spend it, right? I mean, you yeah. find a way to survive <laughs> on whatever you need to survive on. Exactly. Like, you know, you, you, 
you reach these figures like, dude, if I ever make this amount of money, I'll be set. You know, yeah. you make that amount of money and you're like, how the hell am I still breaking even right, right now? You right, know right. What I mean? <laughs> so, so do, some, do something you love. Do something you yeah. love. It changes, it changes your attitude, changes your life. What were the early stories when you um, got into the media world and the MMA media were, what, what stick out? Well, I mean, listen, when we were in the early days, it was still very much like trying to just gain acceptance. You know what I mean? Like trying to explain to people what you do, man. I remember like being on planes to, to go somewhere to cover an event and trying to explain to the person sitting next to you, like what you do for a living. And they're just like, what? Like cage fighting? What are you talking about? You know, so so we were still very much in those early days of, you know, the, the ultimate fighter blowing up and, and seeing, you know, the growth of that, you know, kind of. The, the end stages of, of Chuck Liddell's career, you know, the transitioning to that tough generation of people and, and man, you know, like getting on Fox for the first time and how amazing that was and how now people will have to look at this as a real sport. So I feel like my, my career has kind of straddled that line of the early days where, um, you know, people just didn't even take it serious at first. Like when most of the interviews that you had to do with like mainstream sports hosts and stuff like that was explaining why this isn't blood sport death match. You know what I mean? This is a legitimate sport with legitimate athletes where people thought they were still like these bar brawlers and didn't realize like these are highly educated, highly committed, highly respectful people. So, um, I, I mean, I think that was, that, that will always be what stands out to me in the early days is just trying to get people to understand that, that this is a real sport, you know what I mean? And that the, the people that do this are not some type of barbarians. I mean, the fact they're, they're some of the greatest athletes on the planet. Yeah, I couldn't, you know, I've been in the UFC for like three years now. And that was, um, I knew there was sport to it. But if you just, if, and I always tell people, it's like, I felt bad about how little I knew about the UFC before working with it. But it was like, my job was to cover college football and college basketball. So when do they play Saturday nights, right? It's just like, when you get into like covering something, you kind of have to pick and choose and, and there's just not enough time to, to do it. But um, yeah, like that, once you see the sport in it, I feel like that's when people can come on board. You know, obviously like you still want the spectacular knockouts and all that sort of stuff, but to see somebody just get knocked out cold and then have a beer with that person an hour later, it's, it's like, it, it's, I, I it's crazy. Like, I mean, listen, I, I understand like to, to a degree, there's just always going to be people that don't like seeing physical combat. You yeah, know I mean? right, I right. That. It's, 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 there's always going to be some people it doesn't appeal to. And even in 2020, there's going to be some people that may be okay with it, but when they see women do it, that makes them uncomfortable. There's going to be people like that. I get that. But what I always try to explain to people is, yes, give, give it a chance. You know, it's probably not quite as barbaric as you think. Try to watch it. And then afterwards, get to know these people. Like, listen to them speak. You know, understand. That's what drives me about this, man, is, is telling these people stories. You know what I mean? Like, just get, like helping them get their message out to the world, let, let people see what they're about. Because the athletes in this, and, and I mean, obviously you well know, man, you're speaking to them on a weekly basis. Some of the most humble, just some of the most respectful, um, you know, e even some of the ones that forward facing aren't quite that way behind right. the scenes. They're, they're, they're entirely different, you know, and um, man, I just, I feel honored to, 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 to work alongside them. You know what I mean? It's, it's fun to, to, to to see what these people do and, and man, just to, to recognize the commitment. They do make. you find it's really changed your outlook on team sports? Oh, right. Listen, I, I listen, I'm, I'm from, like I said, I'm from Dallas, Texas, uh, grew up a Cowboys fan, obviously. Then you got the Mavs, the Rangers, the stars. I mean, I like all sports, man. I don't even have, I, I don't even, I don't even watch team sports anymore. Like I'll yeah. try to tune into a Cowboys game just so I have something to talk to my dad about like on the phone or whatever. But 
I have lost all connection with, you know, you're sitting with somebody, oh, what, what do you think about that uh, backup wide receiver, that, uh, that, that cornerback in the third round? Is he going to be available? I'm like, dude, I have no, no idea. idea. I know. You lose your – and no. then, like, for me, it was like once I started uh, working at a high enough level where you start, like, using analysts or whatever and working alongside – and this was even in team sports, but, like, you'd sit with a basketball coach or a, or a former football player – and it like just hits you in the face that there's are all people under these helmets and jerseys and stuff. And so like in Boston, where I'm from, it's like obviously the Red Sox and the Patriots, it's like religion, but then you start like meeting the people and it's like, well, some you like and some you don't like. So this guy who's from Minnesota, who now plays for the Patriots, who's kind of an asshole, why would I like him? You know what I mean? Like why? So that's who I'm just going to like, you know, it's, it started getting way more personal. And then you find MMA and like, you know, individual sports in general, but MMA, especially because it's turned all the way up because of like the sport that they compete in. And it's yeah. just like, I, there's, there's no better sport to cover, follow anything. Well, I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's fun in terms of fandom because yeah, you get to pick somebody you like, you don't just have to pick a Jersey and like everybody that puts it on. You know exactly, what I mean? You get right. to pick somebody. But I'll tell you the other thing too, the flip side of it from a media perspective, you know, I didn't come through the grind of, of other sports, but every now and then I'll get to cover another sport here or there for whatever reason. Real Madrid came through uh, Las Vegas one time for, a, for a, like an exhibition game right. at Sam Boyd Stadium. And I actually really love soccer. It's probably my second favorite sport. Um, and so I, was, I, I reached out to USA Day Sports, and I'm like, hey, do you guys want somebody to cover this while they're in town? You know, I mean, it's pretty cool. Like, big stars coming to Bay. They're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not asking for any money, but I'll just go out there and cover it and throw some coverage away. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Dude, the access is so ridiculous. Like, for instance, afterwards, you know, we, you think of the UFC, every single winner comes back and speaks to us. Unless right. they need to be medically transported, every single winner comes back and speaks to us. There, they had a mix zone where we could set up the cameras, and the winning team had to walk by it, but they were under no contractual obligation to stop and speak to you whatsoever. So they literally just walked to the bus, and everybody's like, hey, uh, nobody. They don't stop at all. Right. Then they're like, oh, but, but we will have a post-fight news conference. Okay, cool, cool, cool. At the post-fight news conference, what they don't tell you is that they have uh, a coach there who is obligated contractually to answer one question. And they literally sent the lowest-ranked guy, like, like probably the dude that his job is just, like, collecting balls of or whatever, you know, and they bring him out. He answers one question and takes off. Meanwhile, you got USC President Dana White. He'll sit there for half an hour sometimes right. or whatever. Yeah. The, the, the access that we have to the athletes and the type of, you know, ability that we have to get content from them Man, in this sport against others on another level. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's, like, great for you guys and, and us to, like, tell those stories. But it's, it's a, it's a two-way sword because it's good for all the fighters to do interviews and, and have – that's how they get their names bigger by playing the game. And, like, yeah, when I, you cover sports in Boston, nobody's going to not be a Patriots fan because the, they can hide behind the logo all they want. Now, there's – the NFL has those rules and stuff like that. But, yeah, man, it's, like, it's just so refreshing to, like – I always thought hockey players were great, too. They'll sit there and they'll chat right. with you for a while. But, and like, the fighters are most, like – well, they're not that much like hockey players. But there's – I feel like there's a lot of crossover there. So – um so you're explaining to people what you do on the road, like you're covering this cage fighting, you're, you're, you're grinding to make it happen. Um, like, when did you, like, like, what was it like back then compared to now? Cause like, you know, you got to wear a lot of different hats now. That's just the way media is. But what, what was it like back then? 
Yeah, back then, um, I, I think it was a little bit more pure in some ways in terms of like sports reporting and sports writing. Dan Stupp, who helped start MMA Junkie, was a great mentor for me, man. He was a great editor, you know, helped make my copy so much better, my process so much better for writing. Um, it was really one of the first ones in the, in the MMA online space that was like, hey, we're going to operate everything by, you know, AP style, Associated Press style. We're going to follow this. You know, it was really a stickler for, for all that, for the, for the professionalism, the code of ethics. Um, all the things that he brought from a traditional newspaper background that really didn't exist a whole lot in the space at that point. So I give a lot of credit to Dan Stupp for, for kind of helping show me the ropes and set like a real professional tone for MMA Junkie. Um, we were very much about, you know, just the writing, uh, very straightforward down the middle. You know, we didn't, we didn't have picks. We didn't have opinion pieces. We didn't have, you know, anything like that. It was very much a straight news only. Um, you know, as social media started to grow, I'm, I'm still not like a huge like social media guy, but I remember like, like signing up for Twitter only because I, w I was forced to sign up for Twitter uh, right. by the company, you know, and yeah. like we very much in the early days, myself and Dan, and maybe to our own detriment, and I still do it to a degree, to be honest with you, is put the brand of the company before the brand of the person, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And obviously that's wholly changed in terms of like right. now it's all about media personalities and that sort of thing, um, which, you know, I don't fault anybody for. It's just the way the business has changed, you know? So yeah, in the beginning, it was very much like early days, like just old school news writing down the middle. Uh, like I remember when we hired Ben Folks at, at one point, who then went on to the athletic. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, I, I don't think he's signed on. Or is he still, anyway, I know everything's been changing. But, right. Yeah. Um, you know, we signed on to, to bring him on to. Uh, to, to be our opinion guy because we didn't even really want to put our opinions out yeah. there you know what I mean I'm, I'm still a little bit hesitant I, Dude, I you got to be careful time. man it's like I, it's like saying I know it too it's like I, I I thought I wanted to be Colin Cowherd like I thought I was just like right. that's the show because you're on for three four hours instead of preparing a lot for a little show you prepare and then you have a longer show and I've yep. done some you just put your opinion out there sometimes and I'm just like oh man it doesn't feel great I'll tell you a funny story. And, and I do, I, you know, listen, I do think this is an important lesson. I do always tell people, you know, young journalists or whatever, they'll, they'll reach out to me, hey, what kind of advice can you give? And I, I do always say, listen, do not write, say, publish in any way, social media, whatever, anything that you wouldn't say to somebody's face. You know, criticism is fair, um, I think, to anybody. Criticism is fair. In fact, there's a lot of Sonny touched on this the other day after his performance. He kind of addressed the media in the post-fight press conference. But, but don't, don't be snarky or don't just try to make a point or try, like I said, those, those hot topic grabbing people, man, that, that, that bugs me. If you're going to say something, everybody's up for criticism. I'm up for criticism. You're up for criticism. You don't have any problems with people telling you you made a mistake, but let it be constructive and let it be something that you would say to me face to face over a beer, right. you know, not something that you would say online. But I'll I tell you a funny story. So we, we never did picks. No, we never thought it mattered. You know, pre-fight picks, who's going to win. Yeah. We finally, we get bought by USA Today in 2011. We're told, you've got to do picks. You need to do picks. Like, all right. They make us do it. The very first one that we do, maybe second one, it's Tyron Woodley against Don Young Kim in Macau. And I'm there. And uh, we do our picks. And, you know, the storyline at that point for Tyron Woodley, this is before he was champion, was kind of that he, that he, he, he could never deliver in the big spots. You know, when he gets to the biggest spot, he choked or he failed. He comes there, he knocks out Dung Young Kim. And I asked him, you know, it's, it's the post-fight press conference, and it's him and Dana White right next to him. I said, listen, you know, the storyline has always been you choke in these big spots. Here's a headlining spot. Your boss is right next to you. Do you want to tell him, you know, that, hey, listen, I deliver? He's like, no, what I want to tell you is that you picked the wrong guy. 
And I started, uh. started laughing. <laughs> like, of course, the second pick we've ever done, I'm like, nobody will ever see these. Nobody right, cares. right. Tyron Woodley saw it and called me out, man. It cracked me up. So, yeah, listen, when you say these things, people, people notice them. So, yeah, I think you have to be careful to be respectful. It's okay to, to, to not, like, just praise somebody every time, but I think you have to – be willing to live with, with what you're saying is, yeah. is your reputation. You know, I'm lucky that I don't have to pick. Like I, it's right. like, I actually don't pick, you know, cause I'm, they, they don't make me pick and I wouldn't if I wanted to and all that sort of stuff. I'm just like removed from that situation. But I've seen that for some of the fighters that we use as analysts too, when you're on the desk and you're doing these shows, it's like, all right, prediction time. And they don't want to. And it's just right. like part of the job. It's just, it's just part of the media landscape. Now I can understand why they don't, especially fighters, you know what I mean? Cause mm -hmm. they, they kind of go through it. When did it start getting more than writing? Like you mentioned, like you hired the opinion guy, but when did you notice like, Oh man, I'm going to start have to do a lot more than just uh, typing some good stuff. Yeah, man. I think, um, you know, you start probably around like 2012 around then where we started. First of all, you know, that's when the UFC's international expansion really started, man. I remember the, the return to Brazil, you know, what a big moment that was. And then we got to a point where, man, we were going to Brazil seven, eight times a year. You know, yeah. that really that global footprint really started to expand and it became valuable to get that content um, while you were there, you know, and back in the day, you know, Sherdog obviously was a, you know, huge, huge in the sport. And then they used to do, man, even though they had no credentials, even though the UFC was upset at them, man, they would bring like a handy cam in a hallway and chase people down and go to people's bedrooms and their, and their hotel rooms and, get whatever they could. And Dan Stuff and I used to see that and, and we said, hey, man, you know, we, uh, man, we, we'd love to do some video. That'd be a nice addition to the site, you know, but we wanted it to look professional. We didn't want to do that hand cam in the hallway thing. Right. Neither one of us were really, you know, qualified to, to do it and didn't really know much about it. We were like old school news writers, you know, and then you had, you know, guys like Ariel Hawani that, that started coming out and saying, no, we're going to do on camera professional, you know, buttoned up, interviewing type stuff. And it was like, okay, wow, this is bringing something to the table. And on top of that, you know, advertising revenue, of course, man, went away from, from you know, the banner ads and the page clicks. So, okay, now we can put pre-roll on video. And that's really what right. drove it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, was, it was the financial revenue. So, you know, you become more, in, in some ways, I mean, all the media outlets are that way today. Like, you're not really just a, a, a media, you know, you, in terms of just writing. I mean, you've got to provide, you're, you're a content provider. Yeah, to your, yeah your fans and now you're providing you know a little bit of everything so um yeah i mean that was kind of the evolution where we realized and now like i said used to i just travel with my uh i travel with my my laptop and i wanted like the smallest laptop i could carry so it was light now i'm sitting here in my room i've got two different cameras over here, two different lenses to go with it two tripods and all that stuff right I'm telling you man I, yeah. it's, it's crazy it's crazy early on when you have to start doing that um were you excited to expand or were you like the, the curmudgeon -y, oh man, I'm just going to write my, cause you know, like, it's like you think back to newspaper writers in 97 and they're like, the internet's not going to be a thing. We're going to be printing newspapers forever, you know? But like, what it's was, funny. what was it like to like expand? Cause it's in one way it's more work and sometimes it's more exciting and, and just it's, it's cool. And then other times you're just like, ugh. You know, it's just like annoying. Excuse me. That was probably a little bit of the curmudgeon, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, even, even to this point, like, I don't really care about being on camera. I never have. I never did. I'll do it yeah. if that's what the company wants. But I never really cared about putting myself forward. I cared about putting the brand forward of MMA Junkie, about putting the sport forward, about putting the athletes forward. And I never really cared about being like, hey, I'm the guy. Look at me. It is interesting, though, because one thing that I have started doing 
you know, off and on over the years is calling fights. And I actually love calling fights. Right. Man. Yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. Too much of it. I love it, man. The job that you get to do, man, if I could trade for your job, I'd do it in a it's heartbeat. It's fun, That's isn't it, man? The first night I did it, I was just like, this is it. I was like, the this best, is man. it. It's so funny. You got the best seat in the house. You're talking with your buddies about fights. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, you got to hit a couple posts here and work in some ads here. But for the most part, man, you're telling the stories, right? Yeah. You're, you're, doing, you're telling the stories of the athletes, and then you're talking about the fights that you're doing. So I love doing that. Um, so, yeah, but as far as the evolution goes, I was probably the curmudgeon guy. Yeah. I, 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 like, <laughs> I, I just got back from the beach out here where I shot like a stand-up preview, you know, by myself. For this oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to do that. Like, well, I like that's the thing, too. I know. And in that case, it is. It's like annoying. Even though I always wanted to be on camera, do the TV stuff when you're in uh, certain positions and stuff and you got to like, all right, I'm doing this work. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. All right, now I got to go out and shoot something to prove that I'm here and all that stuff. It's like, yep. I wish somebody could just follow me around with a camera and just bang it out. You know what I mean? That's just, it. But hey, you did that. You did that grind on the local scene. I'm sure yeah. you're that local guy having to oh. carry your own camera around. John, rodeos in Wyoming. I'm shooting my own <laughs> stand-ups. Like high school rodeos, mind you, in Wyoming. You oh, know? my it's God. Like, oh, yeah. They got like high school teams. It's crazy. And I'm like, like why am I doing thing. this? I'm like, eventually, maybe I'll get to cover pro sports. You know? And, That's uh, hilarious. So um, when did you become who's got the first question <laughs> like how long yeah, because you, i think i i want to say this to listeners um you know i think that it should not be underestimated the type of uh like work ethic it takes for you and commitment for you to always be there i worked at a station in boston and we had a political reporter and every politician that would like do a news conference or an event or whatever all it, it speaks to you and your um, skill set compared to the other reporters. They're not trying to get their question in over you. Everybody's like, John goes first. Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, you know what I mean? Like, that's a respected yeah. kind of position to be in, not only for Dana to know you're first, but for all the other reporters to say, yep, John's first. I appreciate that, man. That means a lot. No, it's, uh, you know, from like 2012 to 2018, we went to every single USC event. So we're doing you know, Uberlandia, Brazil, you know, right, middle of yeah. nowhere, like I said, Macau, whatever. We went there, we went to everything. And so that's when it started to happen because, you know, there was, there was, just to be honest, man, there were some of these regional far-flung shows where I was one of the only, like, real MMA media beat people there. You know, right. you got your local reporters that really don't know what they're covering. They're just there to kind of cover the, the traveling circus that's come to their town, you know. And so, um, you know, I, I always knew that, hey, man, if I can get this thing started off right, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get a good feel here. And eventually you know it's funny so we'd start having you know so that was a big part of it then we'd have like these big press conferences right you know the big kickoff press conferences yeah. and, and and dana would walk up to the podium and be like hey we got the greatest fight card ever it's amazing who's got the first question and normally you know i would be like hey i'll, I'll take the first question but it would take a second because like the pr people would have to like get to you with the mic and, right. and i'm trying to sit in the middle because i need the best camera angle because i'm shooting photos now right, and all that right it would take a while so i believe it was dave schaller who was just like one day he was like listen is it cool if we just hand you the microphone before we start with this thing so that we go when dana goes who because there would just be this uncomfortable few seconds and dana's looking around going what nobody's got a question like yeah nobody yeah, has yeah. A question. And, <laughs> and so schaller was like hey man we're just trying to get rid of that i know you've got the first question anywhere are you cool with just starting with the microphone in your hand i was like yeah i got no problem with that and then just that developed into, well, we already know John's got the first question. So right, let's, let's right. go. 
But he still, but he still, but he still asked the question, which is great. Who's got the first question? That's what's become really funny is during this pandemic era. Obviously, you know the amount of media that's 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 able to be in there is is minimal. You know, I mean, there's literally like five or six of us that have been covering you know everything. And so, yeah, during this pandemic era, it's been really fun because. And I used to get like messages every now and then where people would joke like, oh, why does Dana ask who has the first question? You know, he knows who has the first question. Yeah. And now like Dana's literally started to do as you played upon the other day, which I thought was hilarious, you know, where he'll come in and just say, you know, who's got the first question, John? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right, right, right. I was talking about that all day. I was like, I was like, I hope John's there to talk to me later today because that's what I'm definitely going to do. So um, you mentioned being there. Um, there's a lot of people that, and, and I think that with technology, it's a good thing. It's a good thing for kids to be 22 years old, a senior in college, and be like, I want to cover MMA. And they can. Like, they can have a YouTube channel. They can talk to fighters the way I'm talking to you on Zoom and have a show and whatever. But being there is important. Um, talk about that. Because there are a lot of companies that they're trying to trim, they're, they're not going to events, like even no matter what level of media you're in, like local media, like I didn't go to road games, the Boston Bruins were playing the Chicago Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup finals. My TV station in Boston said we'll only go to Chicago if they have a chance to win the cup that night. So I didn't go to games one or two. I, you know what I mean? It's just like, what the hell, yeah. man? But like being there, what do you get out of that? That's yeah, like, that can't be, you know, measured. No, you're right, man. Listen, I, I do think there is an importance of being there for, for a number of reasons. I mean, one, in terms of just being a reporter is getting an actual feel. I mean, when you talk about like things about like covering what the UFC is doing to cover the, the pandemic, well, how, how can you know if you're not here? I mean, you right. can read some emails or you can get some memos of what they're supposed to be doing, but I need to be able to sit there and witness it with my own eyes. Um, so that's been a huge one, of course. But in terms of just covering a sport, just the relationships that you develop with people uh, man, I'll tell you one thing I've really missed during this pandemic time is, is the, the, you know, the virtual media days that we've had to do. Now, here in Fight Island, since we're all tested, we're all yeah. in this bubble, I love it because we get to see the athletes. But, like, even from a Zoom session, man, you, you can't see physically what a fighter is looking like, uh, how their behavior is, all their kind of nonverbal communication that you pick up on from years and years of, of, of covering somebody. You're like, nah, that – He's not telling the truth there. Oh, he's not off. He's, he's definitely off this week or so. You know, those things that you develop from being there in person, um, it's been tough to, to not have that. So that's a huge advantage of, of, of being there and witnessing things. If you can actually use, you know, your firsthand observations versus just being, you know, given what you're, you're fed through a lens and that sort of thing. I think that's important. And again, just developing those relationships, man, being in front of those people, whether it be athletes, whether it be administrative people, you know, they, they, they get to know you, they get to trust you, they get to understand who you are, man, those, those relationships. And honestly, to me, that's, in, that's if, if for whatever reason, this is a kid that's talking about any industry, yeah. man, I don't care what business you're in. Relationships are everything, man. Relationships are everything. So um, I think that's a key factor in, in, in any business. And you only develop those by being there. Yeah. That's why I wanted, when I started the show originally, I was like, I'm only doing it if I can be in person. And then I was like, well, that's way too tough sometimes to like be consistent with it. But, and I said this on, on the last episode, I said, um, Lawrence Epstein said this at a meeting that we had after the pandemic. He was like, the reason why our business has been able to keep up and do well is because we've established relationships in person. So you can take it the other way to zoom. Like me and you can have a good chat here because we've been 
in St. Louis and Brazil and all these other places so we can yep. have a good conversation like this. But it's tough to establish it when you're just like on FaceTime for, for 15 minutes at a time in an interview. It, it really is. And I mean, look, everybody's getting used to these Zoom meetings, FaceTimes more than ever because of necessity. But I mean, that's a relatively new development as well. I mean, it would be really hard to develop a meaningful relationship without being there in person. Right. I, I think you need that. I think you need that. Yeah. And then like the UFC knows too, because um, like, like, you know, that station in Boston where we wouldn't travel and then come playoff time, they're like, well, why can't you get an exclusive with so-and-so? It's just like, because we were the only team that wasn't at spring training or we were the only station that wasn't at spring training. And now it's the playoffs and we want, and we want the big interview. It's like, they know, they know. I'll tell you what, man, you're so dead on about that. And here's a battle that I've even had internally sometimes is that, you know, of course we're looking for the biggest hits. We're looking for the most traffic, just like anybody, you know, but we've, I've had these arguments with, with past uh, personnel that's no longer with our company. It's like, hey, why are you bothering wasting time like talking to this prelim guy? Like, dude, we're there to cover so-and-so. Like, that prelim guy might be the main event guy in, in six months or a year or two years or five years or whatever yeah. it may be. And I promise you, that prelim guy will remember when he was at the media day and nobody cared about what he had to say. And you walked up and you interviewed him and you were willing to give him a little time. Right. That stuff sticks with people, man. If you think it doesn't, you are wrong. They see it. They observe it. And, uh, man, if you can start developing those relationships early – They'll pay off down the line. Yeah, Felder, Dan Hooker, they were prelim guys not long ago, like couple, like in a matter of a few years, you Absolutely. know? And it's like the, the years go by so quick. You stab, you Absolutely. know, you, you do some favors for those guys, and then it's like all of a sudden you're right there. And listen, man, I'll be honest with you. Not that, of course, I don't love covering the superstars of the sport. I do, man. And it's amazing when you're at these Conor McGregor fights or George St. Pierre fights back in the day, or Ronda Rousey or Brock Lesnar or whoever, but or Anderson Silva, all those things. Of course, they're amazing. But we're, there's like 500 people all writing the same story and all doing the same. Yeah, movie, exactly. You know I mean? Whereas right, like right. you get to meet this person that you're like, whoa, what, where did you come from? Like, what did you get through? Like, what did you? Oh, man, I, that's the stories that I love. Like, you are kidding me. You know, that 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 stuff to me that, you know, only one person wrote that story and you're the first person to get to tell it, man. I, I love that. And you bring, you know, kind of their personality and who they are to the forefront. I mean, it sucks. Because it's not the one that's going to bring you all the clicks. And it's yeah, not the yeah, one that's yeah. going to keep your employer happy. So you got to find a happy balance of both. But, you know, sometimes when people say, oh, why do you even worry about those? Why do you care? That's why I care, man. I, I, I think it's cool to develop those relationships moving forward. You mentioned, like, when you were a teenager and, and all that, you were kind of a mess. You didn't know what to do with yourself. Do you think that, um, that your background, because of that, obviously makes you kind of connected? Because a lot of the fighters, you know, just in the line of work that they are, um, kind of have those those things in their in their background of, of like a rough upbringing or, or this and that yeah it certainly doesn't hurt I mean and listen let me be clear I mean you know my parents you know my, my look my parents got divorced when I was really early I was only child adopted I mean all so I, I don't know but it wasn't a bad life like my parents like they tried but I was just I was just an idiot man and sometimes I look back and I'm like why was I so angry like why was I so that so I definitely want to make it clear that like it's not like oh man I fought through the you know I had a middle-class family that did the yeah, best they right, could. Right. I was just a rebellious idiot. But yeah, I do think going through a lot of crap, I mean, helps you understand, relate to a lot of people, you know what I mean? But, but you know, yeah, it, I always say it, and it's, it's funny because it may sound bad. I don't mean it to sound bad, but like well-adjusted human beings don't make a decision that they're going to lock themselves in a cage with another human being hell-bent on doing them, you know, physical damage yeah. for a living. That right. is not what well-adjusted people right, right, do. Right. So, like, as great as these athletes are and as much as we love all of them, and, and, dude, there's something a little bit extra about all of them, you know what I mean? So, yeah, having a little bit of, 
you know, going through some crap myself and having that chip on my shoulder at times and maybe I didn't need to, I think it helps a little bit. Yeah. So what's next? What, like, um, you know, you know, the calf kick is what's next in MMA, right? Or, or like what's developed over the past several years. But from a media standpoint, from you see like a kind of a do-all website, a blog, a, a, you know, podcast and all this other stuff, like what do you see as like the, the thing that's, oh, we, we've got to start doing this more? Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, because everything like multimedia just continues to develop, but, you know, in, in you know, subscription models, do they work or do they not? You know, um, listen, I, I think just remaining true to what we do, you know, I, I think embracing obviously innovation and technology, I mean, you have to do that, man. I watch my kid in distance learning and seeing what this eight-year-old kid is able to do on, he's got an iPad over here and a, and a computer over here and he's switching between all these different, pro I mean, you have to stay up with technology, right? If you're going to be that curmudgeon that goes like, ah, you know what, man, this is what works and we're going to stick with that till the end. No, I think you have to completely be embracing technology and embracing what you can do because people are always looking for that cutting edge. Um, but I do think there's always an importance to, 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 to sticking to the roots as well in terms of like, man, you know, we, we get away from things, you know, obviously the, you know, you're a media guy, the whole pivot to video where like nobody wants to read anymore. I know. No, they actually do. You were wrong. You, you know, they finished yeah. that. Like, Nobody yeah. reads anymore. Like, yeah. They, and it was so odd to me when that was going on in newsrooms around the country and around the world, because like, dude, pivot to video, pivot to video. And the whole time I'm thinking, how much video do you watch personally? Cause right. I know me, like, you know, I'll watch a little bit here and there, but I want some, I want some stuff to read. I want it all. So, so that's the thing I think is embracing technology, but always remembering that, yes, let's go to the next level. Let's go to the next level. Let's go to the next level. But for thousands of years, people have, have written documents about stuff. People still want to I read. I don't yeah. forget that. It, it really bothers me when like, I'll be like, Oh, so-and-so spoke at media day. Um, let me see what they had to say. And I'm just like, well, where is it? It bugs me. You know what I mean? Oh, thank you. Like, so, so I'm when not... you write those articles, John, that is awesome. Because if you're watching a video, you cannot do anything else. You know, but right. you can you can r r skim through an article, whatever, get the gist, whatever, and then go on. But if you're going to watch an eight to 12 to 20 minute video or an hour long podcast or whatever it is, like that's all of a sudden, you know, if you can have it on the background, but then you're not really absorbing it. You know what I mean? That's it. And here's, and here's the other thing, too. And it goes back to what I said earlier that I feel like part of what we do is to help document the history of a sport. So what happens when you're going back to reference something and you're like, what was that quote that he said that one time? What was that thing that he reached out about right. that one time? Like, guess what, man? Google doesn't pick up on every audio word yeah. inside of a video. So unless you can remember where that video was, you're not going to be able to go find that quote. Whereas if somebody has taken the time to write it down, it now lives on the internet and we can find that. We can help go back and tell these stories. You know, what did so-and-so say back then? When? Do you remember when they predicted this? And all? I think there's still an important element to the written word as well. And I, I do think that no matter how far we move forward with multimedia and technology and all that, that we can't get away from the written word. Maybe it's not the, the 10,000 word things. I get it. People got time. They want short and they want to look, but put a little bit of the written word in there too. Yeah. How do you feel about clickbait? Oh, now clickbait bugs up. <laughs> now, I hate when people call something clickbait that is absolutely not clickbait. You're just like, that's just a catchy headline. And there is something to be said for that. And I think, you know, this is one thing that Dan Stuff always taught me too and, and, and really drove, drove home for me because to me, I do not like anything. Like, I want to make sure to the reader that whatever I promise you on that headline absolutely exists on the other side. Like a pure clickbait, the real original definition of clickbait where it's just not that at all is absolute trash and garbage. Now, 
the thing is, I still need to make the catch line headline uh, uh, catchy enough that it gets your attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where if it doesn't, if I don't make the headline catchy enough that it doesn't get your attention, then I've done myself a disservice. I've done that athlete a disservice because we've gone to all this length to put this together and nobody's clicking on it. But yes, you uh, pure clickbait. I hate. I just hate the fact that other people use that word. You know. Now okay. So in your opinion, so like it's not like a necessary. You wouldn't say like it's a necessary part of the business. You would say hell no. Clickbait as a definition has gotten lost. Yeah. I agree. Right, but you need you need a headline. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Clickbait. Uh, yeah, clickbait is trash, man, and it should not exist. But unfortunately, that term has been kind of changed a little bit in its in its interpretation. I think by some people. But yes, I want to make sure that everything in there in my headline is accurate. It's fair. Uh, I, I don't want to, oh man, I think it's, I think you have to be very, very careful. With it. And again, this term talks about relationships and short-term versus long-term. You can take a quote from somebody and use it pretty much out of context and make it look pretty awful. And if you yeah. know that's not what they meant, if you know, again, this is, you happen to live with yourself, man. If you right. know that's not what they meant and you're willing to put it out there because you know, it'll get you some clicks for that day. I just don't believe in that type of morals, man. You know, yeah. you need to know that whatever you put out there, man, that's, that was that was fair and correct. How do you find? Um, I think there's like there's somewhat of a misconception. I think sometimes where if you don't play nice with the UFC, then they won't allow you into their events and all that other stuff. Um, I think that that exists in every sport with every team. Like so, like if you're covering the Red Sox and you're this woke Red Sox reporter that's on the beat, well, guess what? Nobody's going to talk to you if you just start. Right slamming them over this and if you if you're the ultra critical guy in the clubhouse they read that and the teams don't. how do you balance um keeping like the good relationship but also being a journalist and, and kind of like you know like like well, you got to ask those questions uh you got to sometimes write those articles but obviously it's like there's ways to do it I think the word that you use there that I would say is balance. You know what I mean? It's, it is balancing. It's the fact that yes, you do want to be critical and fair and doing your job as a journalist and be willing to, to ask the tough questions and follow the tough stories. But my, my point has always been kind of what you just said. If you get to a point where you can't get a comment from anybody because nobody will talk to you, nobody will answer you, nobody will return your phone calls, your texts, your messages. They'll no comment your questions when you see them in person. What service are you really doing to anybody at that point? You know what I mean? If you're not able to get any communication in return, I feel like you've lost a lot of your value as a journalist. Now, at that point, you're just pretty much a commentator, and you can do that. You can offer your opinion on anything. So, you know, I can tell you this. I mean, I, listen, Dana White and I have had some moments along, along the way in public and behind the scenes that haven't been pleasant for, for either one of us. You know what I mean? We've gotten into it sometimes. So it's not like while, you know, for the most part, people would say we have a pretty friendly relationship. We've had moments along the way that are, that are not friendly at all. Um, but I know the things that he's always said to me and that other people like PR people and other people that I work with have always said is like, listen, man, if you like something, say it's good. If you hate something, say it's bad, but just do both. You know what I mean? Just do both. Don't always be the person that's got something negative to say. So I know from the organization itself, that's what's always been communicated to me. And it's honestly what I've always experienced. And so you know, again, it, it, to me, it goes back to, I want to know that whatever I say, whatever I write, whatever I put on social media, whatever I do, that I'd be more than willing to say that to somebody's face, explain to them why I feel that way, give them my position, my feedback, my information, so that they could look at me and go, all right, I see where you're coming from. I disagree, but, you know, yeah. and they can give me their counterpoints. Whereas if you're just, you know, hating on somebody or talking trash, that's not productive. And so, 
kind of like what you said, I think there's balance. And I do think there's value in maintaining relationships because just getting a no comment about everything, every time you want to report something to me, doesn't really provide any value to anybody. Right. What, uh, going to wrap this up, John. I really appreciate you doing this, man. This has been fun to uh, talk shop. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people, yeah, want right? to hear, you know, it's like, it's the inside baseball of, uh, of the MMA and sports broadcasting and journalism and all that stuff. But it's certainly like a realm that people are, you know, yeah. people know the behind the scenes stuff. No, I was, I was going to say, man, from where we started from, like, I, re I remain a listener, you know what I mean? Like, I, I still listen to the podcast. I, enjoy hey, it. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. I was bummed that you stopped, but I understood why you did. Like, I, I don't, because of the way my job is, I don't get a chance to do a lot of long form type stuff. So I enjoy the long form. So as far as us talking, like, I'm sure there'll be some, you know, MMA fans that say, Brendan, you just wasted my damn time talking. I, you <laughs> no could have gotten another fighter. Get some good don't stories. Get a fighter on. I'll but, get some more fighters. I was going to say, but there will be some people that say, well, that was cool. You know, I've never heard John talk that long about shop and that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, a little bit of behind the scenes stuff is fun too. Yeah. Well, you're uh, consider yourself a friend of the show. We'll, we'll do this again uh, at some point as we check in, oh, but uh, man, all the best on fight Island. I'm going home. I mean, by the time this airs, I'll, I'll have been home because I'm going to put it out. Um, but man, thanks for doing this. I'll see you around. Absolutely. Brother. Anytime. Great time chatting with John. I hope you guys enjoyed it. You know, that balance of finding your passion and chasing it, but doing what it takes to make a living. I think that's really important. Uh, what I liked about his message was to make choices. You know, in, in evaluating what he was doing, he got divorced, he was in the restaurant business and, uh, you know, trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And he realized that he wasn't making any choices. You know, there's nothing that happens to you that makes you do something with your life. You know, as soon as you're out of the house and, and your parents are no longer telling you what to do. We all have to hit those crossroads sometimes and ask ourselves, what do we want to do? Where do we want to live? What do we want to do with our life? Where do we want to go to school? Where do we want to work? And what do we want to pursue? You know, if you're into a, a nine to five job, there's nothing wrong with that. I know plenty of people that work in a traditional schedule and they really, really love what they do. And I think sometimes people get lost in thinking about, oh, you know, I have to turn my hobby into a job. I love playing the piano, so I got to make that my job. Or I love doing this sport, so I have to find my job in this sport. It's important to realize hobbies can just stay hobbies, but it's about choosing what you want to do, finding some enjoyment in your work, because ultimately, you know, our happiness is our most important thing. So if you can be happy in your job, whether it is, you know, working in an office because you love the work or saying, I don't, this is not for me, but I'm going to choose what I'm going to do. Ultimately, uh, leading a life that we are content with. That's the most important thing. Anyways, thanks for listening. As always, you can subscribe if you want to. You can tell a friend if you want to. But I really had a good time uh, chatting with John Morgan. And, uh, you know, I wrote down in my journal right after because I keep a journal sometimes and just jot some things down. And, um, you know, just wrote down, keep talking with people that interest you, you know, whether it's fighters, whether it's media members. And uh, maybe we expand the show into something more, but I'm going to keep it UFC centric for now, figuring out who I should interview next, but rest assured, I will get one lined up until next time. Uh, Brennan Fitz here. Thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you next time.